A big, big day in the race for the top four. The pendulum has well and truly swung in Tottenham Hotspur's favour. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hello and welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of the 90 Min Football Network. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simeon. On this edition of the show, we're going to be looking back at Arsenal 1, Brighton and Hove Albion 2 in the Premier League. A really, really disappointing result, a really disappointing performance, a bad bad day at the office. On this edition of the show, we're going to be breaking it all down. Um, it is a bit of a raw reaction from me, as you always get in these post-match reaction shows. We will try, uh, well, I guess if I think I see anything that we haven't really been over before um, in our sort of follow-up shows the following day, then we'll do a bit more of a deeper dive into it. Maybe we'll talk about it a little bit more when the dust settles and everybody's feeling a little bit better about it. But it's it's really hard to feel any other way tonight than hugely disappointed. Um, I made the mistake of putting the Tottenham game on after as well. And there, there was this tiny part of me that was thinking, although Arsenal were awful today, although the result is completely and utterly unacceptable, if somehow Aston Villa could beat Tottenham Hotspur, then the damage would have been limited. You know, OK, we would have missed an opportunity to pick up three points at home to a Brighton side that we should really be winning. But if Spurs had failed and had been beaten, then you're sitting there going, OK, opportunity missed, but it's not the end of the world because, of course, um, you know, they too will have slipped up. I, w I put the Spurs game on two minutes into it. They go a goal to the good. And then I literally watched Aston Villa batter them for the remainder of the first half, but not find the, dead, uh, the breakthrough. And Tottenham have what we don't have in the attacking areas. Harry Kane, Hyunmin Son. And we'll come on to talk about the striker problem a little bit later on, because I know a lot of people um, are going to be sort of wanting to hear about that, wanting to talk about that. I think there's only really one place to start, though, on this evening's show. I think there's only one place to begin, and that is with Mikel Arteta's team selection. Now, if you cast your minds back, for those of you that watched or listened to the preview show, you'd have heard me say, that I don't think we should make too many changes. I think we should limit the changes to the ones that we have to make. And that meant bringing somebody in in midfield, like for like, or as close to like as possible to replace Thomas Partey and bringing in the left back to replace Kieran Tierney. Um, that, that's been my view all week. In the lead up to this game, following the defeat at Crystal Palace, when we found out that Tierney was going to be out for a while, when we found out that Thomas Partey was then going to be out for a while or, or was doubtful for this game. I repeatedly said it. If you try and reinvent the wheel, you are taking a huge, huge risk. We finally, throughout the course of this season, found a way of playing that isn't perfect, isn't ideal. There are still shortcomings in it, of course. But we found a way of playing that, for the most part, had provided us with positive outcomes and positive results. So if you're a manager, I think that in order to embed this philosophy that you want and in order to kind of really make that stick and get people going out there and performing in that way to the best of their ability and maximising the team's strengths, you've got to be consistent with that. You've got to say to people like Nuno Tavares, right, you are my understudy left back. Yeah, you haven't played well for a few sort of for a few games in your last few performances you've been questionable but now's your time to shine now's your time to step up you have to do that as a manager sometimes you have to put your arm around players and sometimes it will it will work some other times it will blow up in your face but I tell you one thing had Mikel Arteta started Nuno Tavares today and Nuno Tavares had a questionable game and Arsenal got beat I promise you I would not be digging out the manager off the back of that. I promise you. Now, you might think it's easy to say that in hindsight, but genuinely, I picked a team that I thought should be picked today. And had Mikel Arteta picked that exact team, I would have been quite happy to kind of say, well, it was an off day. It didn't work. Um, 
but I think the thinking behind it and the logic behind it all was correct and was right. So I'm not going to go too big on the manager. I repeatedly said that if we left Sambi Lakonga in midfield alone, or he was partnered with the wrong people, i.e. we didn't play with a double defensive midfield pivot and opted for what I thought a lot of people wanted to see, Emil Smith-Rowe and Martin Odegaard alongside him, I thought that was going to be a problem. I said it throughout the week. You cannot leave an inexperienced young lad who is still finding his way in the English game in that position. Now, I don't blame Sambi Lakonga one bit. And I've seen some people on social media this evening digging him out, saying that his performance was bad. It wasn't bad. It wasn't great. But Sambi Lakonga was put into a position where he couldn't possibly succeed today. And that is on the manager, as is the failure of the experiment, the failure to get the most out of this team today um, based on what we had available. He, For me, he made some really risky changes and they've blown up in his face. And it doesn't matter how much you're Arteta in, it doesn't matter how much you believe that overall he's done a good job. And and I've said, you know, repeatedly that I think he's done a good job overall. But whatever your view is, whatever your opinion is, you can't look past Mikel Arteta today in search of the reasons for the failure. Had he done the right things or what I believe to be the right things, you wouldn't catch me sitting here now on Saturday night saying that he's to blame or that he's at fault. And listen, all managers make mistakes. Some of the best managers, Pep Guardiola, has gone into games at times overthinking and sometimes overcomplicated stuff to the detriment of the performance. And it's cost him. You know, you think back to that Champions League final last season against Chelsea. That was Manchester City's time to win the Champions League. And he overthought and he overcomplicated it. And Mikel Arteta has done exactly the same thing today. OK, the stakes aren't as high. It's not a Champions League final. But he's gone out and um, he, he's gone out and he's tinkered with the team too much, in my opinion. And you look at that first goal that we conceded and Granite Xhaka gets sucked into pressing somebody up the pitch, leaving a gaping hole on Arsenal's left-hand side, Brighton's right-hand side. They work the ball out into the wide area. They get to the byline. They cut it back towards the penalty spot. And because of the lack of cover in midfield, nobody is following up on the runners. Nobody's following back. Nobody is alert and aware of what's happening on the edge of the penalty area. And we get punished. Good finish from Trossard. Let's take nothing away from him. But we got punished because... We basically got exposed in the two areas of the team that we made wholesale changes in. And we shouldn't have done it. It, it. It's as simple as that. I mean, you look at the way that sort of Arsenal got opened up on that side and you look at the way that Granit Xhaka was pushing up the pitch. And listen, people will dig out Granit Xhaka. And that will be because there are people out there who, in their eyes, he can do no right. In their eyes, you know, he's, he's somebody that... It, represents or embodies why we've struggled in recent seasons. But actually, he's gone into that position at the request of the manager. I'm certain that Granit Xhaka hasn't been campaigning uh, to play at left-back all, all week. That's a decision that's on the manager. And unfortunately for us, it didn't work out. We got exposed because not only did we not have the right cover defensively, he doesn't have those defensive instincts that a left-back should have. Not only did he not have that, the midfield that was supposed to be protecting the back line was non-existent. And to add to that, we had very little going forward from either of the full-backs today. Cedric didn't offer very much going forward. I don't think he'd done much wrong defensively, but going forward, he didn't give us an awful lot. And so you had two full-backs that gave us no attacking threat, one of which got exposed defensively, not because he wasn't trying, not because he doesn't care, but because he's been played completely out of position. You had a young lad in Albert Sambi Lakonga, who, in my opinion, being put in a midfield alongside Martin Odegaard and Emil Smith-Rowe, was completely hung out to dry. And we paid for all of those things. We had a centre-forward in Alexander Lacazette today, who was woeful. 
And I kept saying it in the build up to the game, you know, and, and I, I stand corrected. I was wrong. You know, I kept saying you got to stick with him. You've got to stick with him because of the lack of an alternative. I thought today, actually, when he came on, Eddie Nketiah was quite energetic and was quite handy. So perhaps I was wrong. Perhaps Eddie Nketiah should have been given the nod. Alex Lacazette is that out of form. But the, the previous evidence suggests that when Lacazette plays, you get more out of Saka. You get more out of Smith-Rowe. You get more out of Martinelli. Um... But that wasn't the case today. You know, I thought Emil Smith-Rowe was really, really poor. Really poor. I thought there were little flashes in the first half. But he didn't get in between the lines. He didn't get on the ball enough. He, he seemed to be caught between two positions at times for me. Caught between being out on the left and caught between taking up those half spaces slightly infield. I didn't think it worked. I don't think that Martin Odegaard works in that deeper midfield position. It just... It, it's, it's just... Uh, uh, there's a complete imbalance when we play like that. In hindsight, it's easy to say that, you know, some of those players didn't turn up, didn't perform. But you think about what we're relying on in terms of sort of goals and, and, and match winning moments. You think about, you know, Smith Rowe, you think about Saka, you think about Martinelli, you think about Odegaard. Nowhere near consistent enough. Over the course of the last few months, we've struggled to score goals. No, not wait, let me rephrase that. Sorry. We haven't over the last few months. We we went for a really good patch. But in the last few weeks, we've struggled to score goals. And that's been clear. And that's not just because of Lacazette. Everyone wants to pin it on Lacazette. But it's because all of them have, have kind of failed to perform consistently at the level that we need them to perform at. Um, some of some of the time they've looked tired, at other times they've looked um, sort of like they can't get into the game, perhaps like we've been sussed out a little bit. I don't really know what it is, but when you compare that to Son and Kane at Tottenham, who are just lethal, clinical at every moment. Like Tottenham, were, as I say, in the first half, they were absolutely battered by Aston Villa. But Aston Villa didn't take those chances. Hugo Lloris made some good saves. And then Harry Kane and Hume-Min Son, when opportunities came their way, they took them, they split open the defence, and 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 they were they were clinical, and that's the difference. They were ruthless, and we've we're not ruthless. We haven't been ruthless all season. The amount of times we've come away from games saying, "Oh, if we'd have scored this chance, it would have been very different." Oh, if we'd have scored that chance, it would have been very different. And it goes back to what I said right at the start of the season. If you go back to my season preview, if you go back to some of the pods I did right at the start of the campaign, one of the things I repeatedly said was that I worry. That in Emil Smith Rowe and in Bukayo Saka, we don't have enough in terms of outputs from those guys to get us over the line. Now, have they improved? Yes, they have. And I'm not wishing to place the blame for today's defeat on them. I've, I've already made it clear who I think the blame lies with. And we'll come back, we'll circle back to that in a minute. But the point I'm trying to make here is that, yes, they've improved in their outputs. Yes, they've raised the bar in terms of their level of performances overall. And yes, they've scored more goals and created more goals, et cetera, et cetera. But it's still not at the level that you need to be in that top bracket. It's still not at the level that you need to be at week in, week out to stand a chance of getting over the line in the race for the top four. None of them have got the outputs of, of a son. None of them provide the way that Harry Kane is doing of late. And he's also been scoring goals as well. That is elite level. You look at Liverpool, and you look at Salah, Mane, Jota, you look at the numbers that those guys put in. You look at Manchester City and you could name four or five players who produce big numbers. You you know, Chelsea, you look at people like Kai Havertz, level above some of our young players, not because they're no good, but because we're overly reliant on them. And yes, they've progressed. Yes, they've developed. Yes, the future is bright. But today we're not ready. We're not good enough to get into the top four. And I would be shocked now if Arsenal made it. I've said throughout that it was never a done deal. I've said throughout that I wasn't as confident as others. And I've always maintained that. But today, to me, and, and maybe in the coming weeks, things will change. And maybe in the coming weeks, you know, the pendulum might swing back the other way. But I just feel right now that today was the defining day. Today was the day where our hopes of finishing in the top four evaporated because of 
the nature of our performance, the result that came off of the back of that, and because of because of what I just witnessed from Tottenham Hotspur. You've got two teams, right? One who were on a high a few months ago and are now sort of on their way down. And you've got another team who have peaked and hit form just at the right time, just at the right period in the season. They've got a manager who's come in and shown his experience. He's made them more solid. He's put in a system that maybe not all of those players feel 100% comfortable in, but recognised, just like Mourinho did before him, that actually you can paper over a lot of the cracks at Tottenham Hotspur because you've got a world-class couple of forwards who can make the difference and who can make things happen. Well, Mikel Arteta had a system in place. It was all going well. And had he stuck with it, had he stuck with the same team or did what I kept saying, which was try to minimise the change, try to minimise the disruption, try to deal with the sort of enforced changes by, as I say, minimising the overall impact on the team. If we then fell away, you'd have looked at it and you'd have gone, okay, it's annoying, it's frustrating given the position we were in, but there's not an awful lot we can do about it. We just weren't ready, we just weren't good enough and we lost key players at key moments. But this particular result, and listen, I don't blame Mikel Arteta for Crystal Palace. I don't. You know, he went into that game. He was without Nicolas Pepe. He was without uh, Kieran Tierney. Thomas Partey pulled up in the game and the players went out on the pitch and just weren't at the races. They weren't focused enough. They weren't ready for the battle. They weren't ready for the fight. And I came away from that game thinking, you as players this evening, have really let your manager down and you've hung him out to dry because he's he's not done anything that I would look at and say is questionable. And why would he change something that's been working for such a long period of time? I mean, the fact that we're in the top four race at this point, sort of coming up to the middle of April, is a, a massive improvement, but it's not enough of an improvement to suggest that we can play in the Champions League next season. Look at the way we're struggling to cope with, you know, a, a game each weekend and okay there's been a few fixtures thrown in here and there but I just feel like Mikel Arteta just when I felt like he'd kind of he'd kind of got over that kind of bump that last little bump that he had where we you know we we started the season really poorly he got over it we went quite well for a while then we had a few defeats here and there along the road but we bounced back quite quickly from them we had that little spell where we obviously lost to Everton, a side that we should never have got beaten by. We lost at Man United and you thought, well, is this another bump for Mikel Arteta? He came through that again. And, and I thought that he'd learned and he'd recognised what was what the formula was or had developed the formula that would most of the time be the right thing. Yeah, you'd need to tweak it from time to time. I've talked a lot, haven't I, about how I'd quite like to see when we do play with that sort of three-man midfield with Odegaard just in front and sort of, um, sorry, with Odegaard and, and Xhaka just slightly ahead and Thomas Partey in that sort of anchor position. I've said it time and time again. I quite like the fact that we were able to tweak that, that you could drop um, Granite Xhaka into sort of that, uh, that defensive midfield line and he could help out Thomas Partey in the difficult moments and in the moments where we needed that additional cover. So you develop a way of playing and, and you think we're on the right path and you think we're on the right trajectory only for Mikel Arteta to, I think, panic, shit the bed um, and and basically overthink it, overcomplicate it and do damage in other areas of the park as a consequence. The attack was nowhere near as cohesive with Emil Smith-Rowe playing in the 10 position. He hasn't played there for most of this season. If you look at Emile Smith-Rowe's appearances this season, the majority of them have come from that left-hand side. Martin Odegaard is the one who has played there week in, week out, developed, got better and better and better and grown and um, formed those partnerships with the Sackers and with the Lacazettes and with the Martinez, whoever else it is, uh, whether it's Emil Smith-Rowe playing from the left, Martin Odegaard made that position his own. And yes, he's still young too. And yes, there are going to be ups and downs. And yes, there are going to be weeks where Martin Odegaard doesn't play very well. 
But at the very least, I could see what the vision was and I could understand where we were going. And if something worked one week and then failed dramatically the next, you couldn't really, as a fan, if you were sensible, turn around and say that Mikel was wrong because what he was what he did was working five, six weeks prior to that. But in this instance, as I keep saying, he's looked at it for whatever reason, he has decided that Nuno Tavares can't play, um, you know, can't play uh, sort of at left back today. And if he can't play at home to Brighton, when can he play? I mean, you look at the remainder of the season. If he couldn't start in this game today against Brighton and Hove Albion at Emirates Stadium, when is Nuno Tavares going to play? That's my big, that's my big concern here. Like you've brought this guy in and yeah, you will make mistakes in the transfer market. There will be players that you thought were one thing. They proved to be something else and you have to move them on and you have to cut your losses sometimes. Even the greatest managers, Arsene Wenger, Alex Ferguson, they all did it. They all brought players in that after a few months, they recognised probably weren't up to it. But what has happened there's been outside of a couple of disappointing performances from Nuno Tavares. What else has happened that means you would rather weaken your midfield and play a player completely out of position at left back just to keep him out of the side? I, I, what's gone down in the background for this to have been the decision that Mikel Arteta took? I, I can't understand it. Could Nuno Tavares have made us any worse today. No, he couldn't because we were awful. We were awful. I don't know. You know, some people will say in the chat that it's, you know, it's about his attitude. It's a, and, and I get that we are not privy to all of that. And, and I totally understand. But looking at it from a purely footballing perspective, to take somebody out of, to, to take somebody out of your midfield to put them in at left back and leave a kid who is still learning the Premier League to be overrun by a very useful Brighton and Hove Albion midfield who had had sort of uh, running power, who had technical ability, who had engines to get up and down the pitch. It just felt to me like not only had you weakened us at left back by choosing somebody who doesn't play there and, and really can't play there, but you'd also given Brighton the midfield by doing what you did to Sambi Lokonga. Now, it's not even Lokonga's fault. It's not Odegaard's fault. It's not Emil Smith-Rowe's fault. You can give somebody the tools, but if they use them in the wrong way, then they're not going to get the job done. And I felt like that was the issue today. As I said, in the lead up to this game, my team today would have been Ramsdale in goal. It would have been Cedric at right back, Gabriel White, Tavares at left back. And then I would have played Xhaka alongside Lakonga in the middle of the park because I felt that we needed that added bit of security. Odegaard just ahead of them. One of Smith-Rowe or Martinelli from the left. Saka from the right. And, and, and Lacazette up front. Let's move it on a little bit. We, I've, I've sort of been ranting, I feel like, for the last sort of 23 minutes or so. Um, and I, And I don't want these shows to be like this. It's not what I'm trying to put out, but I'm, I'm just speaking how I feel tonight. And I feel really, really disappointed because I've backed this manager a lot. And I, and I, look, I'm, I'm not sitting here saying that I want him sacked. Like that's not the case. I said at the start of the season that if we finished in the top six and if we can finish fifth, I'd be delighted with that. I'd see that as real progress, given that we've managed to move on a lot of deadwood, given that we've managed to pull through uh, some of these young players and get them up to a level where at least most weeks they're at a very, very good and high level. But you almost do feel a little bit let down when you see decisions like this. I mean, the Xhaka experiment at left back, it failed before and it had devastating effect. We missed out on a European final, I believe, because of uh, Mikel Arteta's overthinking and and I get it, it, it and it, and it actually then I'm not saying it was okay because I don't think it was okay. I, I still wouldn't have done it, but at least then we didn't have another left back within the squad. This time we have one, and you've not learnt your lesson. 
And what kind of message does that send to the player as well? Because if you believe in this player, if you believe that he is somebody that you can get to a certain level and somebody that's going to be part of the makeup of this team moving forward for years to come, maybe not as a starter, but as a squad player, what kind of message does it send to Sambi Laconga when you've, comp- uh, I beg your pardon, to Nuno Tavares, when you've ripped out the heart of your midfield, the strongest part of your midfield in the absence of Thomas Partey and then overlooked him to play the midfielder there. It just, people said that taking Tavares off against Crystal Palace and taking him off against Nottingham Forest were confidence killers. And to a degree, I get where that comes from, but he was playing poorly in both of those games. And so as a manager, you can justify that. You cannot justify to the player what he did today. Mikel Arteta cannot justify in any way, shape or form to Nuno Tavares that decision. There's there's no way. We didn't play well. He talked about Xhaka in his post-match being in the team because we felt that Brighton would leave certain certain spaces that Xhaka could operate in. Well, it didn't happen. It didn't work. It didn't work. And and one of the things that actually quite irritated me uh, about Mikel Arteta in his post-match interview and in his uh, press conference was this, yeah, you know, we we didn't have the right energy. We were cold. We were um, under par. We weren't, I think he kept using the term, we weren't precise enough. Um, he, he, He said a lot of things that I agreed with, a lot of things that really resonated but also his failure to acknowledge that the disruption he caused to the team played a part in that was really frustrating for me. I'd have had a lot more respect if he said, look, we had players missing. We tried something different. We tried to, you know, we tried to make up for that. I thought this was the best way to approach the game. I thought this was the best way to go into the game. But in hindsight, you know, it, it caused too much disruption. It didn't really work. I think a lot of fans would sit there and go, yeah, you got it wrong. And there would be fans because there are fans that don't want him as the manager full stop that would have uh, still dug him out for it. But for me personally, when I've been praising him in recent months for being that little bit more honest and being um, a little bit more transparent with the fans and, and that contributing to the fans really being behind him and the team in general, I thought that it was a little bit, don't know, I don't want to use the term arrogant, but I thought it was a little bit irresponsible, I think is the right word, to overlook that the disruption he caused to the team played a part. Now, of course, there was going to be some disruption, right? There was no Thomas Partey, there was no Kirantini. Two players were going to have to be different. But to then, if you're going to, if Thomas Partey is not in the midfield, you can't leave Granite Xhaka out of it. It's as simple as that. It, it, it's as simple as that. And you certainly can't, regardless of who's in midfield, play Granit Xhaka as a left back. So that's why I'm frustrated today. That's why I'm really, really disappointed. And it kind of gave me Unai Emery vibes, because if you think back to that season, we narrowly missed out on Champions League qualification under Unai Emery. It was games against Brighton and Crystal Palace that ultimately saw us come unstuck. So I have got Unai Emery vibes tonight. Um, you know, there's a couple of things that I got wrong in the build up to this, and I, I'm happy to admit that. But before we do that, uh, I just want to take a couple of your super chats. Thank you so, so much uh, for your very kind donations. They are very, very much appreciated. And I also appreciate those that are joining me live who are sitting here on a Saturday night with me. Uh, I think we're all going to go need to pour, need to go and pour ourselves a drink after this. Uh, Mo says... Um, Spurs have now scored more Premier League goals this season under Antonio Conte, appointed in November, than Arsenal have under Arteta. Yeah, goals has been a problem for us for a while, you know, and and at times we were creating the chances and you sort of thought, okay, we're not finding the back of the net, but at least we're creating the environment um, that is needed in order to score goals. Okay, we're missing that final touch. We're missing that finishing touch. And we all know that we need to upgrade on a striker. I would go as far as saying, based on on sort of the last few weeks, that we probably need to go out and get a wide forward as well um, of elite level who's already there, not somebody who we're hoping will be there in 18 months, 24 months' time. We need somebody who's there. We need somebody who can produce the level of outputs that players at those top clubs are. And I'm sorry to say it, people sort of ranting and raving about 
Emil Smith-Rowe and Bukayo Saka getting into double figures in terms of goals, or they need to be getting up towards the 20s. They need to be getting 17s, 18s over the course of the season um, because we're not getting that number out of a centre-forward. Now, maybe with a centre-forward who can contribute more, we won't be as reliant on them and maybe they'd get away with getting 10, 11, 12, 13 goals. But in the current state of play, they need to produce more. And again, that's not to dig them out. It's not to have a go at them. I adore both of them. But it's us being short. It's us not being quite ready. And it's why repeatedly I've said over the last few months when everybody else was telling me that Arsenal have got the top four, it's wrapped up, it's done. I kept saying no, because these types of performances have been well within us. Gino Corleone um, uh, says, bro, Arteta never managed a club. You can't change the fact. Yeah, I know he's never managed a club before. Nobody's denying that. Um, it's... Yeah, it's, it's, he's inexperienced. And I think that when you've got inexperience on the pitch and in the dugout, that can be a problem. And I think at times of, of difficulty, like the time that, um, like we, we faced this week, you know, we went to Crystal Palace. Everybody thought we were going to go to Crystal Palace. Maybe not blow them out of the water, but that we could pick up points and that we could take another step towards that top four finish. And that this game against Brighton was another one that should have been a big step towards achieving that objective and achieving that target. We we hit a brick, a brick wall at Crystal Palace. Not only did we have to deal with the aftermath of a really disappointing performance in which everybody was sort of under par, came away feeling really downbeat. And, and the job of the manager was obviously to pick them back up. We had to deal with absences. We had to deal with injuries. And perhaps a more experienced manager might have dealt with that in a way that sort of then resulted in better results. I, I do think that I've never, ever said that Mikel Arteta is the finished article. I've never denied that he's inexperienced. But I thought that at the very least, what he did have and what I've always said he has is a good coaching brain. He had an idea, a philosophy that he implemented at the start of the season when he finally managed to get his own players in, when he finally managed to overhaul the majority of the squad, and that that philosophy and that ideology might be, given the way the rest of the Premier League table was going, might have been enough to get us into the top four if we stuck with it and banked on the fact that more often than not, it would give teams problems. And instead, we got to a place where some change needed to happen because of the absence of certain personnel. But we, create, we I think, enforced more change than needed to be enforced. We made more changes than we needed to make. We weakened the midfield that was already weaker without Thomas Partey further. We then played a centre midfielder at left back. And those were the two areas in which we got... Um, in which we got caught. And if you look at the second goal that Brighton scored as well, when the ball was cut back this time to Mwepu, although it wasn't down our left-hand side, it came down our right-hand side that time, we still didn't have the sufficient cover on the edge of the box to, to deal with those runners. And OK, at that point, you're chasing the game. You take a few more risks, fine. But home in on that first goal again, where we were exposed and not having a left back at left back and where we struggled then in the absence of a proper partner for Sambi Lakonga to get the right cover on the edge of the box and prevent Brighton rolling the ball back towards the penalty spot and having a free shot on goal. These changes that were, um, that were above and beyond what needed to be done, I think cost us. I think they hindered us. I think they've done more damage than they did good. And Mikel Arteta has to bear the responsibility for that. He does. As I said before, Crystal Palace, I was quite happy to come away from that and put it down to being a bad night. And I was quite happy to say, OK, didn't work out. Certain players didn't perform. Mikel Arteta stuck with his guns, stuck with the same system that's worked over the course of the season for the most part quite well. And so he didn't, in theory, do anything wrong. But today he did. And, and we're not going to get away from that. Um, Messi says, Harry, it's different. Why Tierney was no longer 
and attacking fullback in recent months. Xhaka can fit this role. Lokonga alone is another matter. No, I, I don't think he can fit that role, mate, because yes, Tierney's been a little bit more reserved in recent months, but Tierney's still got that um, that speed across the ground, a greater speed across the ground. Tierney's still got that left-back instinct, having played there all of his career. He's got that relationship with Gabriel to his right, having played with him for the majority of the season. There's a familiarity that comes with playing in a position, right? Anybody that's played the game, and I'm sure you have, mate, will know that things that certain things that you do in certain positions are habit. And that habit only develops and becomes second nature when you do it week in, week out. To then ask someone to uproot and move to another area of the pitch where he's now got to worry about different problems and different issues and different things is 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 unsettling. It's unsettling. And that's what we did to Granite Xhaka. But on top of that, we left Lakonga alone. And Lakonga needs... we The best performances we've seen from Lakonga this season have been with a Xhaka or a Partey alongside him to give him that extra bit of steel, extra bit of stability and help him through the game. If you think back to, was it Forrest away in the cup? Did Lakonga play in the midfield that night? Did he play? I can't remember. I can't remember. I'll quickly look that up. Um, quickly look that up. Hold on. BBC, uh, Nottingham Forest versus Arsenal FA Cup. Just trying to think if he played in that game because the midfield was all over the place that night. But I know Ainsley Maitland-Niles was in there as well. Yeah, he did. He, yeah, again, look, he played that night in midfield, but he played alongside Patino, Charlie Patino. So when you put him in the midfield with someone who's a little bit slight, not very physical, hasn't got those defensive instincts, perhaps hasn't got the experience to plug the right holes and fill the right gaps, then he struggles because he's not at the level yet where he can come into the side and do the exact identical role to Thomas Partey. So if you wanted to tinker, Mikel, if you wanted to mess around with it, Mikel, if you wanted to change it, if you weren't confident in, 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 in playing the way that we normally play, then you had to do something to mitigate those risks. And I feel that he overcomplicated it by having to make a decision. He ultimately made a decision going into today's game. It was either I trust Lokonga to come in and do Partey's role or I trust Tavares to come in and do Tierney's role, but I won't trust both. And he opted to put his faith in Lokonga to step up to a higher level at the expense of Tavares because he wanted to put Xhaka out there. He obviously felt that he couldn't play both of those players, Tavares and Lokonga today, that it would be too much of a risk. But I would argue it was a greater risk to leave your midfield that exposed and struggle to get a foothold in the game and struggle to control the game like we did in the first half, where I thought we were really bad. That is a much greater risk than saying to Granit Xhaka, you're going to sit alongside Sambi. Also, just be mindful of what's going on on the left because Nuno's a little bit shaky. I think he chose to back the wrong horse. He chose to back Lokonga to do a midfield job over Nuno to do a job at left back. And I think it was the wrong gamble. Thank you for your super chat, though, mate. Really, uh, really do appreciate it. Uh, Troy says, uh, can you outright admit you were wrong about Arteta? No. Um, wh why would I? Um, wh why would I? Uh, why would I say that I'm wrong about Mikel Arteta? I've never said that Mikel Arteta is going to take Arsenal to the Premier League title. I've never even said, unlike some people, that Arsenal were going to finish in the top four this season. What I've said is that I think he's done a good job of having to deal with a, a huge turnaround in players. That he'd done a good job this season of. At the start of it, identifying players, bringing them in, embedding them in quickly, getting uh, more out of the young players that we already had at the club and building a team that was equipped to challenge for Europe. And he's done exactly that. You know, the season's not over yet. You know, it's not the end of the world. Like, it's not like we're going to finish. Well, we might still, but it's not like we're in a point where we're going to finish mid-table and actually we've gone backwards or we've regressed. If we finish sixth, you could still argue that there's been progress. 
if we finish fifth, you could still argue that's a very good season based on what people's expectations were at the start of the campaign. All I'm saying is that on the day, I think Mikel Arteta got it wrong. And I said right at the top of the show, this is not a let's get Mikel Arteta sacked podcast. That's not what I'm doing here. Um, I think overall, we've still had a better season. And you've got to give him credit for that. But I think he's shown that when it comes to the big moments, he's still a little bit iffy, still a little bit questionable in some of his decision making. And today, I thought even prior to the game, I even said it before the game, that I thought he got it wrong. Um, so, but, but what are you, I, I don't understand, Troy. Like, like, thank you for your donation, but I don't understand what you're trying to get out of me. Is it like you want me to say, get him out, he's an idiot, he's wrong, he's not the right guy for us? No, because you can't act like that after a game. Um, it, it doesn't help. Uh, Pete Geary, uh, thank you for your very kind super chat donation, mate. Very, very much appreciated. He said, cutting down the squad was always going to catch up with us. Agreed. And I've said this before. Um, I think that cutting down the squad was in some ways necessary. Um, I think that we had a lot of players there that, you know, if you look at them now, wouldn't have made an awful lot of difference to our season. I mean, you think about some of the players that went in January because that was the kind of big deal, wasn't it? I mean, Callum Chambers, would Callum Chambers have been better than Cedric? Has Cedric done an awful lot wrong at right back in recent weeks? I don't think so. Um, was Callum Chambers a, a better centre-back than Rob Holding, who fortunately we've not really had to call upon other than sort of to close out games? Um, Maitland-Niles, what has he done? He's gone to Roma and he's been a, a, a flop there as well. He's struggled there. Um, they've decided they don't want to sign him. So I think the players that we allowed to go, with the exception of Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, but we all know that that was for other reasons. Um, I think those players needed to leave. I I think you always run a risk when you cut down a squad in terms of its size. You you always do. Um, and, and that risk sometimes pays off, sometimes it doesn't. In this instance, it hasn't. But I also think that Mikel could have done more today to manage the game in a better way, to set us up in a better way. Um, and to, as I keep saying, to minimise the disruption to the team caused by those two absences, which would have given us a greater chance of being able to push through this fixture regardless of those absences. So, yeah, I, I think it was, it, it, there was always a danger. And I said it in January that there's always a danger, um, you know, that we could, we could, we could struggle because of this. And, um, and here we are, you know, but I also think as well, from a club perspective, sorry to kind of get hung up on this bit, but it's important that, and I'm thinking out loud, so it's important that I get it all out so that I don't get sort of, taken in the wrong way. I think it's important to recognise that as a football club, we can't stockpile right now. Like we can't have a ton of players on wages who aren't contributing. We can't have that. You know, Chelsea can do it. City can do it because of their operating models. Man United can do it. We can't. You look at Arsenal's recent financial results and they're awful. They make terrible reading. And so for the club... I feel like it was necessary to trim the squad down. The argument is that maybe we did it too much and I get that and I, you know, I, I happily entertain that. But I think overall, in general, um, we needed to cut down in some ways to almost clear the decks ahead of the summer. And I think, as I've said before to you guys, I actually think the club didn't think we would make the Champions League this season. I think the club felt that this was a, a rebuild season and that next season would be the one that we could push on. And again, rightly or wrongly, this is not me setting the goals. It's not me setting the targets or me saying that was my ambition. My ambition is always for Arsenal to be in the Champions League. But the point I'm trying to make is that I think us being in the hunt for the top four in the club's eyes, again, rightly or wrongly, is us being slightly ahead of schedule. And that's why they didn't panic in January. It's why they were happy to move a lot of those players on will it prove right or will it set us back even further if we do miss out? I don't know. I don't know. Um, uh, we won't know until the end of the campaign. Uh, wow. Lots and lots of comments coming through. Um, there's a few super chats uh, I need to pick up as well. Um, so I'm going to try and do that before I lose them. Uh, Said Abdullah, thank you so much, mate. 
He says that Tierney played through injury for weeks. Arsenal did know about that. And now we see Xhaka playing left back. What does that say about Tavares? Yeah, going back to my point earlier on side, um, what message does that send to the young lad? You know, it's 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 almost um it's almost difficult to it's almost difficult to look at some of these young players like and think yeah you know if i were you i'd want to be here when certain things happen equally though nuno tavares was left out because the last two times he's played he's been awful so he's not because he's unpopular it's because he's not shown himself to be at the level required as well so i think this one's a bit 50 50 like if i were the manager i'd have handled it differently because i think certain characters respond to having faith placed in them, having trust put in them and having an arm around them. Others need a bit of a kick up the backside. I don't know Nuno Tavares, so I can't tell you which one of those he is. Uh, but it, obviously it, it doesn't look good from the outside looking in. Uh, Sports Genius says, Harry, respectfully, that's poor from you. Let me know what makes uh, the, the chat's been um, updating. So I, I don't know what point specifically you're referring to. So please do let me know. I'll keep an eye out for it in the chat. Um Ayathu Thuka says, uh, I remember specifically saying we need midfielders more than strikers. There's no need for a striker we, we, when we can't get the ball to them. I, but this is the thing, mate. I don't think the midfield today would have been a problem had we not taken Granit Xhaka out of it. That's my big gripe with Mikel Arteta today. That's my big gripe. Even more than Nuno not playing. Like, had he gone to a back three, let's say, which I didn't want him to do, but had he done that but left Xhaka in the midfield, I'd have gone, okay, not what I would have done, but I get it. But the decision to take Xhaka out the middle of the park for me was just bonkers. That was the big decision. And Xhaka and Lokonga as a pair could probably get us through most games, particularly at home to the likes of Brighton. But Lokonga on his own can't happen. Can't happen. It's not. He's not there yet. He's just not there yet. Troy says, are you concerned with his lack of man management? I think at times he's he's shown that it's a it's a development area for him, yeah. Um, I always think though that with man, the, the whole man management thing, we don't really know what's gone on behind the scenes, and it's hard to to be sort of or, or to have so much conviction in your opinions about his man management because, as I say, we don't know what goes on behind the scenes. We don't see him every day. We don't know exactly what what's gone on. But yeah, um, it, it, when it keeps happening naturally, it's going to be a question that continues to come up and and, and something that we going to need to continue to discuss and keep a close eye on. Yeah, for sure. Okay, we're heading towards the end of the show. We'll take a few uh, more of your questions. We're just going to take a short pause, a short breather, and we'll talk some more, uh, some more therapy <laughs> uh, coming your way off the back of a really disappointing afternoon. Okay, welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by the 90 Min Football Network. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simu. Disappointing afternoon. Um, I think the players have a lot to answer for. I think uh, the performance wasn't good enough all over the park. I think that the environment upon which they were asked to go out and play um, wasn't ideal because I don't think the manager set us up right. Um, I blamed the players on Monday and again, I wasn't really happy with the levels of commitment or the levels of energy or the, the sort of motivation. I always think this, like I was, again, I, I keep mentioning him on podcasts recently. I always speak to my dad after the game. My dad said to me, he called me up straight after the game, very angry, very disappointed. And he said, Arteta can't seem to motivate them. I always think that yeah, part of a manager's job is to motivate. But as an elite sports person, you should be able to motivate yourself as well. And and we're not seeing that. You know, we're not seeing that. We're not seeing these guys going out on the pitch and being sort of really ready and raring to go. It feels like it's all just kind of um, gone a little bit soft again. You know, people used to talk about that soft underbelly. And when you see performances like today, you can understand why that keeps cropping up. But as I say, look, for me, ultimately, you can put the blame in a number of places. You can put it on the players. You can put it on the manager. You can put it on 
um, the injuries. You can put it on whatever you like. You can put it on Lacazette. Some people are putting it on Lacazette. And we'll probably do a bit. In fact, instead of going big on Lacazette, because we all knew that, or we all know that his performance wasn't very good today. We all know that he had a very limited impact. We will save that for our deep dive show tomorrow. We'll focus on Lacazette tomorrow. Um, once I've had a chance to watch the game back and, and, and have a look at exactly sort of how his game panned out. But I think for me, the majority of the blame today and the buck has to stop today with the manager because as I keep, I feel like I've said this a hundred times throughout the show, but I just think there was already disruption caused by factors outside of our control. So then to further disrupt the team, to further disrupt the rhythm, to further complicate matters, given the issues we already had to deal with, I think was a fatal error from Mikel Arteta and one that might, might cost us a place in the top four. You know, you look at Tottenham, Manchester United are out of it now, I believe, given their defeat today. But you look at you, you look at Tottenham at the moment, they're absolutely flying. And I don't really see, I don't see us going and getting a result at Chelsea. I don't see us going and getting a result at Spurs in our current state. I'm not even convinced we'd beat Man United at home. You've got games at Southampton, games at West Ham, games at Newcastle, all dodgy fixtures. And I just can't see us unless there's a dramatic turnaround in our form, getting the points required to even be in the conversation for for fourth come the end of the campaign. I think if we can hold on to fifth, it would be great. But even that might not be easy. And if we finish sixth, then as I've said to you guys before, that was my minimum expectation for this season. So Mikel Arteta would have achieved the minimum, but he wouldn't have exactly got a distinction or, or gone anywhere sort of uh, above that. If we finish fifth, I think that's a solid season. If we'd finished fourth, I think that would have been a very good season. Um, but it's all in the balance now. And, and I'm not exaggerating when I say that, because I know when you look at the table, it doesn't look all that bad. Like we still got that game in hand over Tottenham. It doesn't look like the end of the world, but it's not the the, the points tallies. It's not the, uh, the games coming. Because when you think about it, anybody in this league can drop points at any given time. It's not about that. It's about the performances I'm seeing and how much they've dropped off and a lack of faith, I guess, in us turning it around. Uh, what else have we got? And, and, and Troy makes a good point. He seemingly hasn't learned from the Villarreal debacle. If if you are a longtime follower, uh, viewer, listener uh, of this podcast, you will know that the Villarreal was one of my big... And I, I think I've probably had three real wobbles with Mikel Arteta. And the Villarreal one was one of the biggest ones. And one of my big gripes was Xhaka at left back. One of my big gripes was taking a really important player out of our midfield in order to put him there and put him in a position where he just wasn't comfortable. And so to see that happen again, it instantly pissed me off. It instantly irritated me. It instantly sort of made me wary and panic about what might come um, in this particular game. So it's a decision that baffled me then and baffles me now. It's a decision that when I saw it taken again today, um, sort of touched a bit of a nerve with me, I've got to be honest. And again, it's uh, it's not worked out. And and again, it, let me stress the point. This is not on Granite Xhaka. It's not. It's not on Granite Xhaka at all. Not at all. Okay. Um, let's uh, take a few of your questions before I jump off. It's Saturday night. I want to go pour myself a nice drink, chill out, relax, um, and, and just forget about uh, today's football for as long as I can. But JO4 says, Harry, I feel so deflated. Haven't seen Arsenal in the Champions League since I was in year seven. Going to be hard to get invested next season, knowing how well this season went. And then we bottled it. Do you feel the same, mate? So if we finish fifth, let's say, I will say, as I said, that that's a solid season. Will there be a bit of regret because we had a chance to make the top four and didn't? Yes. But I always think the, the, the fascinating thing about sort of the way people's opinions go up and down is, is that often people don't wait for the season to level out before they make their judgment. So over the course of the season, the best team wins the league. Why? Because they've got to be the best, not just for the first 15 games, not just for the 15 games in the middle of the season, but they need to be the best team throughout the duration of the campaign. And I think that Arsenal 
well, I always thought that Arsenal could level out. But levelling out to me looks like fifth or sixth. If it was to be worse than that, potentially, and we do continue to kind of let that chance for top four pass us by without really putting up a fight, then, yeah, I'm going to be disappointed and deflated. But there has been progress this season in a lot of ways. And I don't think that one-off individual results should um, should take away from that. But when the doors open, it's impossible to not be disappointed if that opportunity passes you by, of course. Um, and I hope you're well, mate. Uh, thank you so much for tuning in. Let's take a couple more. Um, Rael says... Um, is it an Arsenal curse to let average to poor teams shine against them? We've been doing this for years. Sometimes you just get caught cold, mate. Um, sometimes you get caught cold. Look, we're not the only club that have sort of lost games against teams that weren't fancied going into the game. But, you know, it just shows that we're not capable of producing the highest level of performance week in, week out. And then when results like this against a really out-of-form Brighton side come along it just reminds you of how difficult this league is and actually it humbles you in a way it makes you think well actually when we did go on a seven eight ten game unbeaten run actually we did pretty damn well during that period so it does humble you it helps you appreciate I guess um the sort of the good runs and the positives I guess I'm trying to put a silver lining on this but yeah you know ever since we moved to the Emirates we've always been uh, susceptible to teams like this um, and as I said to you guys a little bit earlier on, this gave me proper Unai Emery vibes, given that, of course, his Champions League challenge unraveled at the hands of both Brighton and Crystal Palace. Hopefully history will not uh, repeat itself. Sko says, Harry, I think as a former coach, Arteta trusts too much on what he sees in training sessions. Haven't we all heard over the years that some players are awful in training, but brilliant on a match day? Yeah, um, that's a good point. And it could be it could be the case. I think as well, though, it, for me, and again, people are going to take this as me making an excuse for Mikko, and I'm not doing that, not, not for a second. What I want to say, though, is that I think... I think that when you are um, trying to build a culture, when you are trying to get people singing from the same hymn sheet, when you are trying to get people to um, to kind of buy into a, a, an almost an ethos around the whole club, you kind of do need to reward people for what they do in training because otherwise... You're talking about it being a meritocracy. You're talking about people being on board. And if they're on board, they're part of the team. And if they're part of the team, then they're, we're all in it together. Then if you don't then reward those training performances, you, you, you're you seen to be contradicting your own theory. You're seen to be saying, well, I want to create this sort of, uh, this, this almost way of life within the football club that if you adhere to it, you've got a chance of getting in the team. But then I'm going to pick someone who doesn't buy in to our way of life, to our ethos, to our philosophy, because in game situations, he's more useful. So there's a hard balance to find as a manager between rewarding those who train well and who turn up every single day and are committed, but also using the players who even at times, if they're not, uh, it, it, their attitude is not exemplary, there are question marks about certain elements of the energy that they give or, or, or their commitment, you know, will get you points. Then you have to find that balance, I think, between, um, a bit of both. And and I think that Mikel Arteta is maybe leaning too much one way. And perhaps that is um, that is a problem. It's an interesting point that you raised, though, there for sure. OK, look, um, I am going to I'm going to jump off because I'm absolutely shattered. It's been a long day of work compounded by a really disappointing result and then having to watch uh, Spurs absolutely thump Aston Villa. We'll be back tomorrow with some more analysis around this one. Perhaps I'll feel a little bit better. Um, when uh, the dust has settled a little bit, perhaps uh, I'll look at it with a much calmer head. But at the moment, as I say, just to summarise, I am really disappointed with the changes that Mikel Arteta made. I am really disappointed that he failed to acknowledge that the further disruption that he, in my opinion, um, unnecessarily oversaw uh, contributed to us our performance being disjointed, being poor, being under par. That was annoying too. 
Um, the players didn't turn up again as well, and they need to shoulder a fair amount of the responsibility. But unlike Palace, where I thought the manager did the right things only to be let down by his players, I think he was let down by his players today, but also himself has a lot to answer for as well. Okay, thank you all so, so much. If I could ask you one quick favour, um, join the other 83 people that have hit the like button. Help us get over that 100 mark by the time the stream ends. Please do subscribe to the channel if you're brand new as we continue to crawl towards 20,000 here on YouTube. If you're listening via the audio platforms, please do leave us a review as well. It really does help. We'll be back tomorrow with some more analysis around this one. And of course, uh, we will... Um, We'll take some of your questions during that as well. Have a good evening. Enjoy the rest of your Saturday. If you're listening via the uh, the podcast, then enjoy your Sunday. Catch you all soon. Take care. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon.